so that you can follow along. Today we are continuing our series called Permission to Be Real, where we are in the Psalms, where the authors of the Psalms are expressing how they feel, and sometimes it's kind of raw and unfiltered, and what we see there is, I believe, God's permission for us to be real with Him and to be also real with one another as well. What we said in the last series, in the Paradigm series, with the, what the Bible teaches is true, is true. And the Psalms are true to feeling. And if you're taking notes, go ahead and fill that in. But also you might want to add off to the side experience also. The Psalms are true to experience. What the psalmists are sometimes doing is not giving you a universal truth that can be applied across everyone and for all time. But sometimes they are just expressing how they feel about a particular situa situation, but also how what they have experienced as they walk with the Lord. And today we're going to talk about what it feels like to experience being overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Now, there are different ways that a person can feel overwhelmed. And the psalmist in this psalm that we're going to be looking at today is overwhelmed by all the opposition around him and all of the people going in the opposite direction from the direction that he wants to go. It's as if everyone around him is playing the nope card against God. Now, if you have played uh, Exploding Kittens, this is my favorite card in that game. It's called the nope card. And what happens when you get that card and when you play that card is what? Who's played it before? Yeah. What? Alana. What happens? <laughs> it stops the other card from doing what it does. Exactly. Uh, the uh, illustrations on these cards are kind of interesting, and I like what this one says. This nope card says, feed your opponent a nope sandwich with extra nope sauce. No, it is not going to happen. And what happens, what we see here in the beginning of this psalm is a whole culture, a whole people who are playing the nope card against God. And that is the essence of what sin is. It is deciding, okay, God, you have said this, you have put these barriers down, but I'm going to play the nope card. I'm going to decide what's right for me. I'm going to decide where the line is and when and if I will cross it. That is the essence of the rebellion that we see in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God laid out a particular guideline, and the first people crossed that guideline. They, in essence, played the nope card. But what do you do if you want to go in one direction, you want to follow God, you're trying to do the best that you can to understand his ways and cooperate with his ways, and everybody else around you overwhelmingly is going the opposite direction? And what we're going to answer and see in this uh, psalm today is what is our hope when we're surrounded and overwhelmed, and what should our approach to people be when the culture has rejected God? What we're really talking about here is our posture 
towards people who are going in the opposite direction. Now, um, you know, there can be a physical posture, but there's also kind of a emotional posture or a relational posture. So if I strike this posture, what am I getting ready to do? I'm getting ready to fight. If I go like this, what am I getting ready to do? I'm getting, well, that too. I'm getting ready to give a, a hug, right? I'm open. I'm surrendered, right? Okay, if I'm like this, what's my posture? I'm afraid. I'm scared. So when we are overwhelmed, when we have people surrounding us that are going in a different direction than us, where it feels like just getting through the day is constantly facing opposition, what should our posture be? Sometimes people get scared and they're afraid. And that when you're afraid, you respond usually in anger or you want to fight to protect yourself. Or sometimes you flee, you run away. We're just going to go off here and we're going to do our own thing and forget about everybody else. What should our posture be when we're surrounded and overwhelmed? Now, the good news in this psalm is that God is our hope when the culture says nope. (laughs) Sue Ellen is shaking her head now. (laughs) Yes, God is our hope when the culture says nope. What is our hope? How do we make it when we are overwhelmed and surrounded by opposition? The good news is God has it under control. Now, I've been flashing back to the paradigm series. And I'm going to continue to do that because I think it's helpful to kind of make the connection as I preach and as we walk through these passages for you to see how I'm applying the paradigm for reading and understanding the Bible. Number four, the fourth pillar in that was that the Bible was designed to prompt ongoing reflection and response. So this psalm says something, but what I'm gonna lead you through is a reflection on what that means for how, what our posture should be to those who are in opposition. And what I hope that you'll see with me is that the appropriate response as we reflect upon this psalm is to respond to opposition with compassion, humility, and grace. What if when the people of God are faced with overwhelming opposition, they respond with overwhelming compassion, humility, and grace? Let's read it together. This is Psalm 14. Psalm 14, it's a famous psalm because of the way it starts out. And I actually picked it uh, primarily at first because of the way it starts out, because the way it starts out is often misunderstood and misused. So we're going to explore and correct that as well. So Psalm 14 in the Psalms, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt 
No one does good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Terror will grip them, for God is with those who obey him. The wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but the Lord will protect his people. Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When the Lord restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy and Israel will rejoice. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word and as we reflect upon your word, I pray that you would give us insight, that we would gain wisdom so that we can flourish. I pray that you would give us wisdom specifically about how to handle opposition and how to, do, how to, how to deal with people when we feel overwhelmed, and that we will take our cue from you and have a God-oriented, God-centered perspective on life. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Speak to each heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is my time where I remind everybody, especially those who are watching online because we're recording this, that we meet on site here at United Baptist Church on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. And if you are listening or watching online, then I would invite you to join us. There's nothing that compares to actually being here on site and in person. For those of you that are joining us online on a week delay, welcome. We are glad that you are here as well. And I will remind everybody that you can catch up and stay up with what's going on at Cornerstone messages by going to cornerstonenh.org on demand. You'll see the video there, and you'll also be able to subscribe to the podcast, which is the fastest way to get the message if you miss a Sunday morning. Everything that we do is designed to inspire and equip people to follow Jesus wholeheartedly because we know that uh, following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life and in the process brings glory to God. And if you're new here, especially those who are watching online, I would invite you to text the word new to 603-225-2550 because that way we can welcome you personally and stay in touch with you to encourage you in your spiritual journey. So the bottom line for today is that when the God, that God is our hope when the culture says nope. When you're surrounded by opposition, God is our hope. The first thing that I want you to see, and I think this is the part that leads to compassion when we are dealing with those who are in opposition, is based on that first verse, which is kind of troublesome and has been often misused. Here's what I think you can gain from this. That wrong actions, from verse 1, wrong actions are based on wrong assumptions. Wrong actions are based on wrong assumptions. I'm going to go at this from the, uh, from the second half of the verse, then look at the first half, because I think that the second half gives us insight. The second line of this psalm says this, they, and who are they? We're going to talk about that in a second. It's referring to the first part of that verse, the first line of this psalm. They are corrupt 
and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. So we're talking about people who have played the nope card to God, saying, I'm just going to do my own thing. And as a result, there is corruption. Their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. So what, in part, would lead a person to be in this particular position? I think that the first half of the verse, the first line of the psalm, gives us the insight that tells us how we get there. Here's what it says in the New Living Translation. Only fools say in their heart, there is no God. Now, for most of us, when we read that and we think about the way that we use fool in our context and in our culture, we think of a person who is dumb, a person who doesn't know any better, someone who is foolish. But we've talked about before when we've looked at the wisdom literature of the Bible, in particular Proverbs, that fool has a, has a more specific meaning. And what we've said before is a fool is somebody who knows the right thing to do, but then chooses to do wrong. As I was studying through this psalm, I got a little bit better kind of nuance and insight into this. I've mentioned before that one of my primary resources for uh, studying the Psalms has been the interpretation commentary series on the Psalms. The author, James L. Mays, puts it like this. Now, the word for fool is the Hebrew word nabal, nabal. And so when you see that in writing, you'll know that that just means fool. That's, that's the word that's translated fool in this verse. Here's what James Mays says. Nabal does not mean things like dumb, inept, silly, clown, buffoon, some of the ways that we would use it in our contemporary language. Rather, the term designates a person who decides and acts on the basis of the wrong assumption, decides and acts on the basis of a wrong assumption. So in this particular case, in verse one of Psalm 14, I think here's what's happening. Here is a person who, what's the second half of the verse say? They're corrupt, they do wrong, they're no good, okay? They're, they're making bad choices. Their actions are bad actions. So what would lead a person to take those kinds of actions? Well, in part, what the first verse is saying when it's saying that a fool has said in his heart there is no God, well, what, is, what, what does God do? He tells us what's right and wrong, but he also holds us accountable to that standard. And as we walk through the psalm, what you'll see is that the, the people that, uh, that this psalmist is surrounded by are people who have decided there may be a God. It's not a, a, a philosophical atheism debate. What they're saying is there may be a God, but he's not really going to hold us accountable. I mean, look, we get away with so much, and things keep on going, and things keep on going. So the, when it says in the first half of the verse, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, what they're saying is it's foolish to think that you can choose to do wrong and get away with it forever. It's foolish to do wrong and then think that you're going to get away with it forever. 
because that is the wrong assumption that that person is making. That I can do wrong, I can hurt people, I can damage relationships, but there's not gonna be any payback. There's not gonna be any, there aren't gonna be any consequences. God is not gonna hold me accountable. Now, sometimes we experience natural consequences. If you mistreat someone, they're probably not gonna wanna be your friend. But there's also, there are also supernatural or God-ordained consequences as well. And what this is saying is it's a wrong assumption to think that you can do wrong and get away with it forever, not suffer any consequences. What uh, he goes on to say, James Mesa does, that a Nabal is a person who, whether shrewd or powerful, makes a mistake about reality, makes a mistake about reality. They assume something that is not actually true. Now, later in the psalm, the psalmist will come back and make this specific point that there is accountability, that there will be a reckoning. I like the message translation of verse five where this comes up where it says, night is coming for them and with it nightmares. For the God takes the side of victims. He's not going to allow the victimization, oppression to continue forever. Night is coming for them and nightmares. So um, what, therefore, should be our approach? And this is where, remember how we said the Bible is wisdom literature. It's designed for repetition and reflection. So I'm going to ask you to reflect on this. If the people in your life, and a culture could be your family, your culture, there's a culture at your workplace, there's a culture within your community or region or nation, all of these cultures are just groups of people and the decisions and preferences that they make. So if you are surrounded and overwhelmed by opposition, you could get angry and begin to argue and fight. You could completely withdraw and say, I'm just not going to have anything to do with you because we need to protect ourselves and I just want to hang around with people who think like I do and want the same things that I do. But if the people around you that are making those different choices are making choices based on wrong assumptions, then I think that suggests compassion. Because if, if you make a wrong assumption, you're going to make wrong choices. That's just how it happens. And so what should our approach be? I think that, that uh, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to his apprentice Timothy, has this same kind of thought. Here's what he said when he's talking to people who want to be leaders. He's saying, if you want to be a leader in the church, if you want to aspire to leadership, this is, this is the direction that we should be moving people towards. It says it like this. This is 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. How many times when we're facing people who don't believe the same way that we do, we see something that they post online, whatever the case may be, and it becomes a quarreling. And it says the the... The, the person who's a, who is a servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to how many people? Everyone people, all the people. <laughs> be able to teach 
Because if you're making a wrong, if you're doing the wrong thing because it's based on a wrong assumption, then if you get the right assumption, then that's going to change your direction. The way Andy Stanley puts it is that if you see as God sees, you will do as God says. So what's our goal is to get people to see things from God's perspective. So that's where this idea of teaching comes in. And be patient with difficult people. How should we handle them? Gently instruct, he says, those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change these people's hearts and they will learn the truth. So what is our role? We are gentle. We're kind. We're compassionate. We're understanding because we recognize that we would do the same thing if we believed the same way. If we sat where they sat, we would do like they are doing. What's God's role? Is it our role to do this or is it God's role? Perhaps God will change their hearts. Perhaps God will change their hearts. We're gentle, loving, compassionate, but, and we instruct and we teach. We, we, can I give you some insight on it? Here's what I've found. But it's up to God to change people's hearts. And because we recognize that we could be doing the same thing if we believe the same thing. Because we recognize that that is the case, then that tends to give us a little bit of humility, which is what the second part of the psalm talks about. So God is our hope when the culture says nope. And what we recognize is that everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone needs forgiveness. It's not just the people out there who are believing the wrong things and doing the wrong stuff. It's all of us in here. It's the people that we look at in the mirror each morning that needs forgiveness. It's that group. Here's what it says poetically in Psalm 14. Here's how it's described. The Lord looks down from heaven. The message translation says, God takes a peek out of heaven. It's like, okay, what's going on down there? The Lord looks down from heaven at the entire human race. And what's he doing? He's looking to see if anyone is truly wise. He's like, is anyone making wise choices down there? Is anybody going in the right direction? Here's the parallelism. If anyone seeks God, Seeking God. And I love, I'm going to bring this back from a couple of weeks ago, the way that it's described in that commentary I mentioned. In the last psalm that we looked at, it was the phrase was the fear of the Lord. In this psalm, it is seeking, the one who seeks God. That's the person that's truly wise. Well, what does it mean to seek God? I love the way it's put. Those who fear the Lord is a designation used in the psalms along with the righteous. These are all parallel terms faithful servants of the Lord. We saw that actually in 2 Timothy. Those who, there's our word, seek to make the Lord the decisive orienting center of their lives. What is the decisive orienting center of your life? What ultimately determines your approach to others, the way that you view yourself? the decisions that you make, is it all centered around the Lord? Is every decision you make filtered through that grid? Those who seek the Lord, people that live that way, those are the ones that are truly wise. And the psalmist is saying, 
The Lord peeked out of heaven. He looked around and he's like, nope, <laughs> there aren't any. Because every one of us has turned to our own way. Every one of us has gone astray. The psalm continues, but no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. And the reason that this psalm is famous is that it was quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, where he's making this very point, showing that all of us need a Savior, and Jesus is not just for the people who are out there, but the people who are in here as well. The psalm uh, goes on, no one does good, not a single one. And then the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 reiterates after listing this verse along with a bunch of others from the Hebrew scriptures to make this point. And he sums it up in this famous verse, Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God looks out of heaven. Has anybody kept on the straight and narrow all the time? Nope. Nope. Everyone needs forgiveness. And when we are surrounded and overwhelmed by opposition, it's a good thing to remember that we were like them and we are like them. And we still believe things that are wrong and are making choices that are misdirected as a result. We all need help. We all need a savior. So even in this psalm, you can see how I'm applying the third pillar of our paradigm. The Bible in its entirety is the story of God setting things right through his son. And even this psalm written hundreds of years before Jesus showed up on the scene reiterates that point because the point of the Bible is to point people to Jesus. The lesser known less famous uh, verse that's right before Romans 3.23 is this one, which makes this very point. It says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. We all have gone astray. God has looked out of heaven to find those who are righteous, and we were in the nope pile and as a result we all need the salvation that Jesus purchased for us on the cross and notice that here there's the there's there's still some parallelism going on this is prose not poetry but the we are included in the everyone that everyone is included in we and the two terms that are in parallel here faith and believe are actually the same word one a noun and one a verb in the original language, which is Greek. And the whole idea here, and the reason why I emphasize this, is sometimes we think faith is something that's very nebulous and not well-defined. And sometimes we think of belief as something that just is going on in our heads. But biblically speaking, faith, belief, trust is that aligning ourselves and declaring our allegiance to, surrendering and turning over our whole lives to Christ. That's what we're talking about. The psalm goes on. Again, we are looking at a situation where people are overwhelmed by opposition, and in that situation, God is our hope, even when the culture says nope. And the reason 
that they are making the mistake, the wrong assumption that they are living under is that God, he may or may not exist, but he won't hold us accountable. But the psalm makes the point that accountability is unavoidable. Accountability is unavoidable. It's coming, and you can't do anything to avoid it. The way the psalm puts it, beginning in verse 4, is this. Will those who do evil never learn? And remember, see how that kind of ties back to that idea? Wrong actions are based on wrong assumptions. What's the solution for wrong assumptions? Well, you got to get some right assumptions, and that you need to learn. Well, those who do evil never learn. Now, this is a line of poetry that actually has three measures, and you'll see that as I unveil the next part. So first measure, second measure, third measure. What's the relationship? Summary statement, will all those who do evil never learn? Well, what, what do they do? What does doing evil look like? And it's explained by the next two measures. They eat up my people like bread. Now, that's interesting, and as I was f- reflecting on that, here's the best that I can come up with. It's like, okay, in order to live, in order to get what you need, you got to eat, right? You got to have bread. And so what this is saying is in order to meet their needs and get what they want, they're willing to treat people like a meal and just devour them and eat them up and destroy them in order to feed themselves. It's using people to get what I want. In contrast, what does it say in the third, me- in the, in the third measure? And wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. So I think this presents two alternate ways of trying to get what you want. One is to use and manipulate and devour people in order to get what you want. The other is to entrust yourself to the Lord and ask him to take care of your needs. Seems like there's a same famous psalm that's coming up that says, the Lord is my shepherd. And what's the next line? Say it louder. I shall not want. So if you entrust yourself to the Lord, what the psalmist of Psalm 23 is saying is, look, there's no better shepherd. You will get everything you need. So it's two different approaches here. Use people, entrust yourself to the Lord, and let him take care of you. So accountability is inevitable. The way that the New Living Translation puts that night and nightmares verse is this. Terror will grip them, for God is with those who obey him. Terror will grip them, for God is with those who obey him. Now, here's where you see this, uh, the poetic language and poetic license that the psalmist is taking, because what has been said is God looked out of heaven, and there was nobody doing right. But then here we have a situation where God is with those who obey him. Well, I thought everybody was in the nope pile. What, uh, who are these people who are obeying him? And what he's saying is we're all going to be hold, held accountable. We've all been in that nope pile. 
but there is an alternate way to live. I mean, that's what he's just presented, right? You can devour people or you can pray to God. If you stay on that path, accountability is inevitable. Terror, night, and nightmares are coming. But there is an alternate path of praying to the Lord, of surrendering to the Lord, of obeying the Lord. And remember that the Bible is messianic literature. It points people to Jesus. It reminds them that God is setting things right through his son. So what does it look like to obey him in light of the gospel? Well, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, and he was explaining what it's like when you follow Jesus, what he works in you, the compassion, the humility, the gentleness that he does in you. And he uses this as a summary statement in Philippians 2.13. For God is working. Whose work is it? It's God's work. Where is he working? He's working in you. And what is he doing in you? He's giving you two things, the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That is super good news. How is it that people obey? Well, if you're on your own, you're going to make wrong assumptions, you're going to go astray, and you're going to be held accountable for it. But God is setting things right through his son. And if you say yes to the son, he comes and he does a radical transformation in you from the inside out. And now, this work is working out of you in this way. You want to do God's will. You want to do the right things. You have understanding and insight that you wouldn't otherwise have, and that begins to redirect your desires. And also, he gives you the power to do what pleases him. Sometimes we have the want to, and we don't feel like we got the power. This verse is saying that if God is at work in you, He's changing your heart, and he's giving you strength to follow through. So God is our hope when the culture says, nope. So where is our hope? Where does rescue, redemption come from? It emphasizes in the last part of this psalm that rescue comes from the Lord. And what do you do when you're surrounded by opposition, when the flood of opposition is overwhelming. Sometimes we want to fight and we want, we want to get angry and we want to yell and argue with people. And sometimes we just want to withdraw and not engage because we're scared and, and it's just easier that way. Who wants to be around people like that, who think like that, who do like that? So what is our approach? What is our posture going to be? Here's a, here's a posture of compassion and humility and grace and why can we do that? Because we trust that the Lord is going to be our rescue. The Lord is going to be our rescue. Here's what it says in verse 6. The wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but the Lord will protect his people. In other words, you're going to have opposition. The wicked are out there. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to frustrate your plans. They're in opposition to you. And look, he says the, the, the oppressed is paralleled with his people, the Lord's people. Sometimes there are people that we're going to encounter that are, that are against us because we belong to the Lord. But we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be worried because the wicked may frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but, but 
but the Lord will protect his people. He's watching out for us. And then in the wish prayer that ends this psalm, the message puts it like this. If there's, is there anyone around to save Israel? Is there anyone? Uh, are, are we going to be stuck? Are we always going to face this opposition? Is there any hope for us? Yes. God is around. Not you're going to argue out of this. Not you're going to fight your way out of this. Nope. There's a deliverer. There's a rescuer. There's a redeemer. God is around. God turns life around. And he can turn around every one of our lives. For some of us, we can have stories. We could write a psalm about how God has turned our lives around. And for anyone that has not experienced that, I would invite you to say yes to Jesus. Let God be your rescuer, your redeemer, your deliverer. What does that mean? That means that he will move you from the nope pile into the obedient pile. He will forgive you for your past and give you new desires and new power as you go into the future. It means that he will be your rescuer and your redeemer. And then there's the final scene of this chapter of this psalm and it's not one of cowering in fear it's not one of fighting it's not one of defeat where you're just overwhelmed and oppressed it is an answer to that question is there anyone around to save yes there absolutely is god and god will redeem and god will rescue and he can turn life around and so here's what it looks like. When the Lord restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy and Israel will rejoice. The picture is of rejoicing, of singing, of shouting, of throwing a party because the one who trusts God will be redeemed. There is hope. So, what is our posture? We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to withdraw. We can engage. When, uh, when the culture has said nope to God and we're trying to say yes, we can entrust ourselves to him. And therefore, we can respond with compassion because we understand that we would make the same, thing, same choices if we were seeing the world the way that they're seeing the world. We can respond with humility because we all ended up in the no pile at one time or another, and we all need forgiveness. And we can respond with grace because that's the way God responded to us when we were constantly playing the nope card to God. Nope, you're not gonna tell me what to do. Nope, I'm gonna make my own choices. Nope, I'll decide what's right and wrong for me. No, Lord. Then he said yes. To us. Yes, I'll send my son. Yes, I'll send him to die on the cross for you. Yes, I'll open up salvation and forgiveness to everyone. I will extend my grace to the whole world, even those who have said nope. So we should be a people who are overwhelmingly compassionate, humble, and gracious. May that be the case. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, it seems like this, this is a tough standard when, when people are in opposition to us, when we are sometimes afraid of what might happen and when the opposition seems overwhelming. But we take heart from your words, and Lord, we entrust ourselves to you, and we know that we are supposed to mirror you to the world. So make us a people full of overwhelming compassion, humility, and grace. And as we, each one of us, watching, listening, or here right now, go through our daily lives, as we encounter the cultures and people that make up those cultures that we interact with, Lord, show us in each situation what it means to be compassionate, humble, and gracious in that setting and with those people and live your life through us love the people around us through us and accomplish what you want to do in and through us we pray in jesus name